Thank you for tuning in to The Right Stuff, a show about readers and writers for readers and writers. I am Rachel A.G. Gilman, a writer, a wanderer, and also your humble host. Today, I'm joined by E.R. Bulgar, who I know from our work together at Washington Square News and the Odyssey at NYU. E.R. is a poet interested in the music of the body, the little pains and pleasures of the human experience, and metaphors about coffee as unfiltered love. He lives in Brooklyn, where he's assembling his first volume of poetry, when he's not trying to coerce his landlord into letting him get a black kitten. Thanks for talking with me, E.R. You're welcome, Rachel. (laughs) How did you get interested in writing? Well, I've been, I started getting interested in writing when I was interested in reading. Uh, When I was very small um, in Venezuela, I remember my mom telling me that as soon as I, um, as soon as I picked up the language, I was like reciting poetry out of books and like reading um, The Gingerbread Man in Spanish. And, you know, just from there, just a lot of reading. And then eventually that led me to writing my own poetry. What's your process like? I write about anything any time that the inspiration hits me. And um, it, it was really, really annoying almost because I, <laughs> I would get inspired at the most inopportune times. Um, uh, back when I used to live in Miami, I'd be driving and a poem would come to me. And uh, I, at one point I was on a date with this girl and I had to have her um, record me reading the poem out loud while I was driving and I wrote that down when I got home. My my process is literally just, there's a little voice in my head jumping around and it starts whispering the poem in my ear and then I have to write it. Is there one piece of advice you would give anyone who's interested in writing? Listen to your muse. No matter how fickle and no matter how annoying and if you're writing about something that scares you, about something that you're not used to writing about, write it out and see where that takes you because the things that you're scared of usually produce your best work. Can you talk a little bit about muses? I don't think any guest I've had thus far has mentioned one. Okay, well, I'm going to try not to sound like a schizophrenic. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I believe I want to call it my muse or else I'm just, I guess I just have an overactive mind. Um, and I've been reading Greek mythology since I was very small and I would, um, my favorite movie was Hercules. <laughs> So I'm very, very much into the concept of the muse and just like listening to that voice inside your head, if you want to call that a muse. But then, you know, you go through life and things become your muse. People become your muse. I I would have people that I dated that I would write a lot of poetry about. Um, But then here in New York City, ironically enough, where everything's like very grand, I get inspired by the most banal things. I uh, I wrote a poem that I, I won't be reading today, but... I was doing laundry at my old job and I was washing these crusty dish rags and I just, I got inspired and, I, and you have to write because even the little things can be beautiful and that's the point of poetry. So I think that's my muse. My muse is just everywhere and jumping around and changing. Is there a book or an author who's changed your perspective on writing? <laughs> that's a big question. Hmm. A book or an author? Well... I think like a lot of writers and a lot of people who listen to music very avidly, my favorite book and my favorite poet is always kind of changing. But I think I'm going to point to Edgar Allan Poe as kind of my big one because, you know, he's very... I remember reading him in middle school and he was just very morbid and he would use all these big words and, 
you, you know, I was reading like the Telltale Heart or like Dreamland as an eighth grader. And I was like, what is this? This is so incredible. And <laughs> I think from there, I just I kind of fell in love with the macabre and, you know, very morbid imagery. And from there, I just started writing my stuff. So a lot of my like more um, <laughs> a lot of my first works are very like gruesome and very teen angsty as expected. Um, I, I didn't like my own poetry until I wrote my 100th poem and I was like, wow, I'm finding a style. But yeah, Poe definitely was an influence. How long does it take you to write a poem? Because I, I can't write poetry to save my life. So <laughs> I'm always very curious about people that are successful at this, how long it takes them. And maybe I'm just impatient and don't want to live through it. <laughs> I'm, I mean, surprisingly, it um, it it doesn't take too long. It I once wrote like a relatively large poem in about five minutes. So some of your best stuff doesn't take any work at all. It's just kind of, um, I, I don't want to say word vomit because that's crass, but <laughs> stream of consciousness, <laughs> if we're being very pretentious and using that language. it's It just comes out, it flows out, and it's lovely and cathartic. So tell us a little bit about what you're going to read for us today. Okay, well, um, I will be reading four poems, three of them relatively short and one of them a little bit longer. The first poem I wrote on the A train very, very late at night, and it's just kind of me describing my experience. The second poem was written out of a place of heartbreak, so all of you sad people out there, have some tissues nearby. Um, The third poem kind of deals with the more pure side of love and I actually I wrote it for my creative writing class but I really really enjoy this piece it's not like some prompt thing I, I love it so I'm reading that one and the last one was something I wrote yesterday about a candle that I have in my room that I found in a Santeros shop in Brooklyn So this is the first one. An A-train devil's trill sonata. Balding man stroking his reflection in the window of the last car's exit. Piano interlopation from that immortal technique song about selling blow and trying to be a gangster that scared you when you were small. Woman with oil pastel face melting. Mouth bloody with pomegranate seeds. She's eating them out of her palm. Lioness licking her paws. New York evokes images and images and nobody talks about how alone they feel on the train at night. Coming home to cement air. Still evening schloss on Putnam Avenue. The stations don't close but how much music can you hear writing back from a frenzied 5 a.m. heat on tranquilizers, equalizers, horse glue head, heady ass poet of the evening and to think your metro card expires tomorrow. Uh, This is the second poem. It's called Common Stone. I think 
and think, and I think I don't think anyone can love me as well as you. I watch you put your briefs back on, think your back muscles could be made of marble. I think you make David look like common stone. I think about it all the time. How you told me cookies were cloying and left your lemongrass cologne in my bedsheets, and how hard it was for me to drag them to the laundromat. Wash you away for 325, absolve the demon and dryer sheet ceremonials. Being okay again shouldn't feel so cheap. This is the third poem, Morning Empire. And um, I really love this one, so I hope you guys enjoy it. It's a little long. I have a diamond-encrusted lover. She says she wants to build an empire, talks to me like we can build an empire, loves me like we're kings, gold crowns and divine right and all. She looks at me, eye crust, unkempt brow, fading dark blue ex-lover tattoo, like I am the earth and she's perched on a Jupiter moon. My beautiful boy, she says with that smirk, take off your clothes. She tells me we built an empire, that this is cosmic, tells me your kisses are galactic, take off your clothes, you smell like eight roses. I tell her, skip your econ recitation, we can kayak to India, build castles in the Jaipur clouds, make love until there are no more Wednesdays. I've not yet had my coffee. I scare myself. Every time I open my eyes, each thought mental muck marking each step out the door. I contain the darkness of all worlds, Pandora's human atrocity. The spaces between my ligaments dusted with black specks, twisted morning dew on a gnarled ivy. And then you, making the maudlin jumpy, killing the mental muck of morning's dark, bringing lightness to my step, making me smell of eight roses, like adding coconut milk to chai. You said it balances the spices, and unbuttoning my shirt, breathe in my ear. You'll never feel alone again. I love you, I think. Your name is worth screaming from the mountains, being written in the sky, painted down your back in pastels, or some such romantic bull. I'm not the best poet on no sleep, but for you I'll try my best. You ask me what I want when I pull you close by your hoodie strings. I'm not proposing we dethrone a bourbon king, just tell me how you like your eggs. You trace the back of my hand with your thumb, ask me to build an empire, tell me don't put sugar in my coffee, kiss me again, no cheese on my egg whites, love, take off your clothes, tell me I'm lovely. We can't be sad in our strewn clothes colony, not even when it rains and the flowers grow like we try so hard to do. Two kids on a floor mattress playing house and paying rent, our unfurnished Brooklyn floors, uncharted kingdoms, in the right light and context. Sunlight streams from my window so like new life. You sit up, sex hair crown of an infanta, wearing nothing but my slippers, telling me to kiss you again. Let me have my coffee, and then we'll build blanket forts for every child who never could. And the fourth poem is called St. Jude, partially inspired by the Florence the Machine song, partially inspired by the actual image of St. Jude. Okay, St. Jude, an over-the-counter santera pointed you out amongst frankincense and rose-scented candles. Patron saint of lost causes, to be invoked when there's no hope, hold a torch for me. 
brought into my house to lower the electric bill, lit loyally each night to witness me, going from lover to lover, drowning them in silver blanket oceans, hold a torch for me. Lit a candle for my mother at St. John the Divine. Haven't been to Mass in two years, terrified of saintly statues, frowning looks. Promised I would visit por mi mami, por mi abuela. But I am holiest on my mattress, eating 3 a.m. noodles, reading Virginia Woolf. I f***ing hate cathedrals, giving roses to beautiful people, kissing them when they allow. I am not a lost cause. Blissful Jude, I'll light your candle, but I don't need your prayers. Another conversation with no destination, another battle never won. Each side is a loser So who cares who fight the gun And I'm learning so I'm leaving And even though I'm grieving I'm trying to find the meaning Let loss reveal it Let loss reveal it The patron saint of the lost cause Before she started We lay in bed as she whipped around us Maybe I've always been more comfortable in chaos And I was on the island and you were there too But somehow through the storm I couldn't get to you St. Jude, somehow she knew, and she came to give a blessing while causing devastation, and I couldn't keep my mouth shut, I just had to mention, grabbing your attention. Thank you so much to ER for joining us today. If you have any questions, or if you'd like to be featured as a writer on the show, shoot me an email at rachelg at wnyu.org. Until next time, I'm Rachel A.G. Gilman, and this has been The Right Stuff on wnyu.org. If you got your lovers and your friends, and you got that heart inside your chest, and if you're happy with yourself and all the rest can go to